Hello, my name is Emma Wilkinson. I'm an undergrad at the University of Rhode Island, and I'm here with Ian Ives from Mass Audubon. Ian, can you tell me a little about yourself and some of the projects you've worked on? My name is Ian Ives. I work at Mass Audubon's Long Pasture Wildlife Sanctuary, and my title is Sanctuary Director. My educational training is I have a, um, a master's degree in conservation biology and environmental studies, and I have uh, a lot of background in wetland ecology, endangered species conservation around wetlands, and uh, 10 years of experience working in wetland creation and restoration on Mass Audubon sanctuaries across the Cape with uh, the goal of storing degraded habitat, wetland habitat, and creating, in some cases, creating new wetlands for target species that we have deemed are in need of some support. Again, we've worked on a variety of different projects, one of which is a spade foot toad restoration project. Spade foot toad is the rarest anurin in Massachusetts, state listed, and we've identified a location on one of our sanctuaries in East Falmouth where our spade foot population used to reside. The population is no longer functioning, and it's really as a result of loss of wetland habitat. It probably took place back in the 19th century during farming um, activities on the Cape. Many of the isolated wetlands across the Cape were homes to spadefoot toads and many other wetland creatures or vernal pool obligate creatures. And with the draining and the ditching and filling of these pools, many of these amphibians habitats were destroyed and therefore many of these populations were in serious decline. So we've identified a location where we knew there to be a spadefoot population. We've identified locations where we felt either vernal pool creation or restoration could support or augment the population and we've chosen to either create or restore up to seven wetlands on one property called the Schumann Holly Wildlife Sanctuary. We're restoring wetlands and creating new ones, and then we are head-starting spadefoot toads from a, a nearby natural population or extent population on Sandy Neck Barrier Beach in Barnstable. We're raising these spadefoots through metamorphosis and then releasing them to the newly created wetlands at that site. And now we're spending um, up to seven years in monitoring the wetlands and monitoring this um, head-starting and translocation effort to see if we're getting any results. And we're now uh, about four years into that process. And each year we'll continue to raise and release uh, additional uh, spadefoot toads. And this is all under permits through the Mass uh, Natural Heritage and Endangered Species Program. What's been your favorite project that you've worked on? Well, the spadefoot toad conservation project, the restoration project, is my favorite. <laughs> and that's because it's got all these different facets. We're not only restoring wetlands or creating wetlands for space with toads, but we're um, involving the community in the project, which has a big educational benefit. So the educational benefit, I think, comes from the fact that people get an opportunity to work with um, scientists in real-life conservation projects, so it becomes tangible to them. Mm -hmm. They can get involved locally, and that, that means something. It's, it's sort of um, on the ground, in their backyard impact. Um, what we're doing is creating wetlands on our properties that students in schools can be a part of, uh, not only in the creation, but in the monitoring. Mm -hmm. So we worked with several high schools, um, environmental clubs, senior biology courses, environmental studies courses. They helped in the ongoing monitoring of our newly created wetlands. So they're out there taking physical and biological samples. And we're keeping an ongoing database of all of this data to see if 
the work we're doing is is successful. And again, the way you can show that it's successful is um, not only the presence of vernal pool obligate species like wood frogs and salamanders, but the um, proof of, or evidence of breeding. Yeah. It's one thing to say that I saw a salamander in the water at Uruguay created well, and it's another thing to say that that salamander laid eggs and that those eggs actually successfully metamorphed and that the, the, that individual came back again and over a period of five or ten years was shown to be successfully reproducing there. That's the ultimate goal. What are the biggest scientific gaps that we need to fill in order to improve restoration efforts? The biggest scientific gaps really are just that this is all work that hasn't been done before. Yeah. No one is doing head starting and translocation space, but there's no literature on it. So the scientific gaps have to do with understanding habitat use, understanding um, habitat restoration, and understanding the requirements that these toads have in their life histories. So how far do they travel? What kind of habitat and the upland do they need to be able to burrow and forage and carry out what they need to carry out? And then understanding what the wetland breeding pool habitat requirements are. So in order to get a sense to all that, we've been doing a lot of upland and wetland surveys at the, um, the donor site, which is Sandy Neck Barrier Beach. So for the last six years, we've been studying that habitat. We'll go to the wetlands that we're creating. Uh, we'll go to the wetlands that we're that we're capturing uh, eggs and tadpoles from, and we'll take specific measurements. And then we'll go with the uplands around them and take specific um, records. Okay. And what we've learned is that the spadefoots, at least here in the Northeast, prefer super sandy habitats with very, very shallow ephemeral wetlands yeah. that have very few predators. So they'll forego the deeper wetlands that might hold water longer and provide a better chance of successfully metamorphing for wetlands that are shallow that almost always dry out before they can actually get out before yeah. the toads metamorph. But evolutionarily, the species has chosen that. It's a trade-off. They've chosen to reduce predation over lengthy hydrology that might promote or help enhance their chances of metamorphic successfully. So Sandy Neck, um, we've been studying the population there for, let's see, since 2009. And during that during the time from 2009 to present, there's only been four successful um, years of reproduction that we know of out there. So most years are a complete reproductive failure. That's because the wetlands that they choose to breed in and lay their eggs in dry up before the tadpoles get out. How do you think ecological restoration can promote ecosystem resilience under global climate change? I think uh, there's a lot of projects taking place right now uh, across the country that are designed to build resiliency um, in the face of climate change. And wetlands have the ability to um, recharge groundwater. They have the opportunity, the ability to um, absorb uh, storm surges and to clean water as well, along with a whole host of other ecological services. So I think a lot of this is going to have to do with just careful monitoring. You know, when wetland restoration projects are completed, long-term monitoring should be done. Otherwise, we don't have a good sense as to how successful it will be. What advice do you have for students or new graduates hoping to work in the field of restoration? I think um, the advice I would have is to take part in hands-on wetland restoration projects and understand the whole process. That's a really great way to, to learn is just on the field experience. So. 
joining workshops, taking part in workshops. So, for example, we at Long Pasture hosted a series of uh, wetland restoration and creation workshops for professionals that were designed to teach practitioners such as engineers, land managers, educators, uh, and so on, the skills on how to restore and create wetlands. Not for mitigation, but rather to augment specific, perhaps endangered or declining populations at a given site or enhancing habitat by restoring the functionality of it. So just seeing many opportunities at many different levels of of wetland restoration is always a great way to, to, to learn. Thank you, Ian, for the wonderful advice and taking time out of your day to interview with me.